marks. But uh, what an exciting time we live in. You know, it's just a difficult to even try to be church, which in the Greek, we are the called out ones, right? The ecclesia of God. Called out, answering his voice and arraying ourselves in an assembly of God, reporting for duty, sir. That's what the church is. And it's so challenging in these times. You know, it seems like we are hardly feeling free to even assemble. But we have heard his voice, and the church marches on, even in these days. Very confusing, isn't it? And so we're going to continue to do business as best as we can. And part of our business is we think about the ministry going forward, and we identify leadership, and you've called a new pastor. And so on behalf of the Northern Mountain District, um, I congratulate you as a church and I welcome you, Pastor Tim, um, to this community and Chris. And to be a pastor is quite a challenging thing. I have a slide for you to think about some of these things, but uh, if you can fast forward a couple slides for me, that would be super. Well, I'll talk anyway, but. Being a pastor is a great privilege. It is an honor. It's also a great responsibility. And um, so this morning I could say a lot of things about that responsibility of being a pastor and also as your responsibilities as a congregation um, to be in the ministry with him together. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are equal at the foot of the cross But we have leaders that are gifts from God, we're told in Ephesians chapter 4. And among those leaders are pastor teachers. And you have just called Tim to be your pastor. There are a lot of terms that we use to identify uh, the preacher at our local churches. And sometimes we just call them preacher or parson or minister or reverend. Some churches forbid all of that and you may call him only brother or Tim I don't know what your preference is you can put it in the bulletin (laughs) how you like to be called and um, but I think the most um, biblically accurate term to use and the one that probably resonates with the hearts of most people is the word pastor And um, the reason for that, I think, is because if you think of the scriptures as a whole, one of the most common and most powerful motifs is that of shepherd. Oh, there's my slide. It finally made it up. That says what we're going to do today, right? So I'm going to talk about that word. What's in a word? What is pastor? And, um, And I'll go over that for a little bit. And uh, then we're going to have a laying on of hands, and I'll call the elders up, and Tim and Chris, and we'll pray over you and the future of the ministry of this church as you all go forward together. And then Tim has some time to preach and to respond, and uh, then we'll be done. Well, anyway, what's in that word pastor? If you think about the biblical pattern, it's just interesting to me that you see sheep and shepherd right from the opening chapters of Scripture. We see a sacrificial lamb even right there in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve were grievously ruined in sin. 
But all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They were all shepherds. And King David was a shepherd. The 23rd Psalm is one of our favorite Psalms. And what does it say, right? The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing that I need. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. And there you have a portrait of excellent care, the care that God has for us as his people. The kind of care that I'm sure everybody hopes to get from their pastoral leadership in their church. The leaders in God's family, including your senior pastor, but certainly covering everybody that joins in the work of the gospel, the elders, the deacons, the other ministry team leaders. Our primary job is the care of the people of God. And that care involves green pastures and still waters, but it also involves a rod and a staff. And we desperately need that from God, his guidance, even his correction. A little pullback from God is sometimes a real blessing. And, uh, but we need that from our leadership as well. Loving, providing, vigorous, intentional, courageous leadership. Ezekiel talks about the shepherds of Israel being deficient in carrying out their duties. And he chastised them severely, I think, in chapter 34. The shepherds that he was talking about were the political and religious leaders of Israel at that time. Woe unto you shepherds who ruin the sheep, who abuse the sheep, who harass the sheep. But Ezekiel talks about also a shepherd that God would raise up, that Messiah shepherd, who would shepherd the people of Israel and lead them into restoration and good health. So it's just a great biblical theme all the way through. It's probably the most common uh, motif of scriptures, sheep and shepherd. Jesus himself, of course, was identified as the Lamb of God by John the Baptist when he showed up on the scene. But he is not just a lamb, not a sheep himself to be slain, but he is the good shepherd, as he tells us in John chapter 10. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. I know them by name. I am the door of the sheep, right? And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Super powerful. And, of course, in the scriptures, the leaders of the church, the Christian elders are exhorted to shepherd the flock of God. And Paul made a real point of that in Acts 20 in his farewell address where Paul called the elders of the church to come from Ephesus and to meet him on an island there in the Mediterranean. With tears, knowing that he would probably never see them again, he exhorted them as leaders how to be good shepherds and what that involved. So I just have a couple of slides for you this morning, and these come as a challenge to Tim, but also just for a refreshment for all of us to think about what excellent leadership is in God's church. Number one, we want to pastor willingly. You are not here because someone pointed a shotgun at you, and uh, 
Peter exhorted the elders that would read his epistle there to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Sometimes in our churches, uh, we have to form nominating committees and find people that will fill the positions in our church, and most of them are unpaid. And so it can be difficult to find a willing volunteer servant in the ministry. With our staff pastors, whether they be the senior pastor, the youth pastor, whatever, we might entice them with uh, some remuneration so that they'll be happy to come and do the work of the Lord. And of course, if you could offer a salary of 225000 you will get many willing volunteers. I assure you of that. But this scripture is so excellent because it just touches on the fact that the true leader comes to serve and he comes to serve voluntarily and he's not doing it for sordid gain. So even though you may choose to care for your shepherds, The reason the shepherd shows up needs to be for the assignment of God and not simply for the remuneration. And you want them to be there with their whole heart. And even as the years go by, when a minister is 30 years old or 50 years old or 70 years or 80 years old, you would all hope and pray that your minister continues to serve daily and is faithful through the weeks not because he still needs a job, but because he's heard the call of God and he's showing up ready for duty, sir, Lord, right? Number two, the pastor needs to be an example to the flock. And so as shepherds, as pastors, we always need to remember that we're one of the sheep too. We are under shepherds and we have a great shepherd above us. But what a great verse also in 1 Peter 5, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So a pastor always has to have that twin sense of duty in his head that sure, he is calling out advice and instruction for the flock to hear, but their sense of direction cannot simply be from his instructions or orders or suggestions. But the best way to lead is to demonstrate by example the way in which we are to go. And in that, Pastor Tim is just another follower of Jesus Christ. What a joy for us to be able to say, as the Apostle Paul said, be imitators of me as I also am of Jesus Christ. Number three, A pastor is always, first and foremost, a servant. And so even though we, on our corporate flow charts, might see the pastor and the elders at the top of the heap, really, like Jesus, they are to be servants, lifting up the entire congregation, as it were, from below. Giving, serving, loving, sacrificing even, for the welfare of the church. Jesus laid this template down at the Last Supper. And I think the disciples, the apostles, had some um, false ideas, I think, about what leadership involved in terms of privilege and responsibility. But he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. And closely related to that, of course, is the idea of sacrificing. To be a pastor is a great privilege, and I, I learned quickly how wonderful it was to be loved by the folks in the church I serve. They always brought me meals and pie. Uh, one man worked for Welch's grape juice, and he had a seven-acre grape you know, orchard or farm, and he would bring me grape juice, some of it that he'd bottled up and some of it that came from the Welch's plant down there in the Tri-Cities. There are a lot of perks to being the minister. And people just love to just help and give. They bring you eggs and beef, and right? It's awesome. But again, we are truly not in the position because of what we can get, for it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. And to be like Jesus and to serve like Jesus, to care for people like Jesus really means that you need to step up to that service with your whole heart, give it your all, and do your duty as a pastor even if it hurts, even if it is exhausting, even if you're not popular for the week in your church, even if they can't afford to pay you what they promised to pay you. Even if the government makes it hard, even if the deacons harass you weekly, even if your health falters, come what may. The awesome pastors that I've known in my life are the ones who were there to serve even to the death. And if it was hard, they just saw it as all the more glorious. If they had to drive a school bus to make ends meet and feed their kids, They were happy to do that because it is worth every sacrifice and every cost to be a servant of God and to have the privilege of serving his people. For sure. Amen, right? And this what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So this is for all of us. Next slide, please. There's three slides on this, pastoring by the word of God, but... uh, The minister's uh, first duty is to nourish the sheep by leading them into green pastures. And what is the food for the Christian? Jesus even said it. My bread, right, is to do the will of God. And the food, the meal, the nourishment, what we feast on is the word of God daily. And the pastor leads through the word of God. Number one, with authority. Remember that it is not as he steps up to the pulpit, his word that is being preached. It is not the word of any man, but it is the word of God that we simply echo in the homilies that we give and the devotionals that we give and the sermons that we preach, right? Our sacred duty is to unfold the text of the word of God and show to the people what God has already said. And we don't need to innovate We don't need to invent new things. We don't need to augment what God has said and make it a little better. But our job is to lay it out as it is and to show the folks how excellent that meal really is. 
And because it is the word of God, we not, need not be ashamed of what we are preaching. Because we're not commending ourselves and our priorities, but we are laying before the people God and his priorities. What is his will for the people of God? Let the preacher preach with confidence and authority. Because he is dishing out the very word of God. Number two, pastor by the word of God with thoroughness. Thinking again of that great occasion where the Apostle Paul did gather the elders of the Ephesian church in Acts 20. He talked about his own ministry with them. And one of the things he said was so interesting to me is he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God or the whole purpose of God. The whole counsel of God. What that means is, as pastors and as teachers, folks, we need to teach people the Bible, but not just our favorite parts, but everything God has said, right? The things that please us and comfort us when we fall asleep at night, but also the things that would rebuke us when we are in error. And it's quite a task because I don't know how long you plan to stay, but I pastored one church for 15 years and another church for 15 years. And I never got around to a lot of passages of Scripture, even in 15 years, adding up morning service, Sunday night services, Wednesday night thingamajigs, and, and Bible studies and personal discipleship. There's a lot there. But the faithful minister will do a good job of getting here and there and a little bit of everywhere in his teaching and leading. So that the grand breadth and depth and diversity of the word of God is brought up to that table. It's very important. And then also pastor in the word uh, with accuracy. This is the Awana verse that many of you know. It says, right, be diligent or steady to show yourself approved, right, as a workman that need not be ashamed, working for God, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so there is preparation that goes into teaching. You well know that. Um, But the last thing we want from our ministers is for the people to have to come up to this step every Sunday and say, actually, pastor, that wasn't quite right what you said. Now that's going to happen. Because there's always people in our church more excellent than us. But, right, our, our duty is to try to do a really good job to cut it straight. And in fact, that verse in Titus that says, rightly dividing the word of God, literally means in the Greek to cut straight. So if you're a carpenter, fellas, you know when you have a $350 glue lamb beam that you'd like to use, you got one shot to cut that thing before you hoist it up and put it in place. Or all this beautiful trim work around these windows. Measure thrice, cut once. No, check one more time. (laughs) And then cut that pretty oak board, right? When we are... Serving up the word of God, we're never serving the whole glue lamb beam, right? We're not preaching the whole Bible every Sunday. We're presenting just a little part of it. And we want to make sure the part that we present was cut straight and accurately represents not only itself and its own integrity as that portion of Scripture, 
but also that it is faithful to the whole and that we didn't lose the context of that passage. And so that's our great joy, right? We get to study day and night and get ready for our messages. Finally, pastor with prayer. Um, I know a lot of pastors, and I've been one for a long time too. And all of them will say, and I will agree, that the most difficult discipline that we have of all is the thing that nobody sees. And that is with all our praying and all our preaching and all of our leading of board meetings. The shepherd of God who is wise knows that nobody can change a heart except for God. And our churches will not flourish unless the Spirit of God is energizing the whole thing. And I think every great preacher in history that was worth his salt has said as much, whether it is Spurgeon or even Calvin or Wesley or Billy Graham, aside from being on our own knees personally, We really don't know what we're talking about. We don't have much to say. And it's easy to get off track when you lose that. So to preach to the people is awesome, but to pray for them is better. I think. A brief challenge to the congregation, just this one verse. You know it well. It says a mouthful, and we could dissect it, but since this is the Protestant version of the installation service, the pastor got six slides or whatever, you get one. Um, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. It should go without saying that the success of the ministry of your new pastor It's not solely up to him. It's up to the way that you receive him and collaborate and cooperate with him. He may be like a Moses to you, but he needs his arms held up, right, by an Aaron. And that's just the way it rolls. And so when there is... um, disarray and failure in our churches it's easy to start pointing fingers and say well if we just had a more amazing pastor all would be well but I've been superintendent long enough to know that it's usually just a family dysfunction right so you have your part to be awesome for him dear pastor's wife I don't even have a slide for you but I did not forget you You shall not have a slide, and I will not give you a slide, and you don't need a slide. Back in the day, a young gal like you would come into a situation like this, and everybody would know your role, which is to be a leader of women's ministries, Sunday school teacher par excellence, absolutely stunning at the piano, with a voice like an angel, And always ready to host dinner for 12 in a perfectly vacuumed and dusted house. Your children entirely in order, quoting scripture and song in everything that they say, right? That's just for starters. 
I think we're all thankful that really in church culture generally in the United States of America, we've moved beyond that kind of a high bar, unrealistic expectation. It's an impossible assignment for you. And I would say to you, I think what mostly all our churches would say to their pastor's wives is that our great desire for you is that you have the opportunity to enjoy this congregation, to be able to support your husband, and according to your own spiritual gifts and your own desires and your own motivations, that you will find two or three things to do around here that delight you and the congregation. And um, that is all. You just be you. The Jesus version of you but just you.